I, I'll, I'll just say yes from now on. Steven, you want to give me a million dollars? No. I want to give you a million dollars, Chuck. I just don't have a million dollars. That's to give what you. I was going to say. I really <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of five to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 107 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Jules Kramer. Hey, everyone. Ward Bell. Howdy, howdy. Stephen Fluin. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick reminder about Angular Remote Comp coming up in like three or four weeks. And this week we're going to be talking about Angular modules. We kind of mentioned them and, and went into them a little bit last week, but there is more depth to be plumbed. So we're going to go ahead and do that. Uh, Steven also wanted to make a quick public service announcement if you missed it last week, uh, just so that uh, you know what's coming down the pipe with RC6. So um, I think we mentioned this in the past, but uh, with RC5, we left in a lot of kind of legacy code, code load, old code, um, really with the intent of helping people upgrade and migrate to the latest RCs. Um, and it is our intention, uh, we shared this before, uh, that in the, the next release, we're actually going to be removing all of those deprecated capabilities and features. So if, if you've been relying on uh, a, a deprecated router or... Um, you were using some sort of kind of long-form bootstrap or anything that you might have found in the internal API that we were kind of leaving around just to um, help people along. Uh, those are going away in the next release. So make sure that, that you take the time to upgrade to ng modules. Make sure you take the time to take all of the components and excuse me, the directives out of your components uh, and use ng modules kind of as they were meant to be done uh, because those those sorts of things uh, will not work in the next release. What's that experience like, Stephen? You've been, uh, I mean, I've done some conversions on relatively small things, but you uh, have looked at a lot of apps that have tried to make this transition. And what's it, what's it, what's the general overall experience? Uh, what kind of time can people expect it to take? Are there traps that they should avoid? Um, sure, sure. So, uh, actually, within Google, we, we've updated over 100 apps um, that were using uh, kind of different legacy things as, as part of this process just to validate that the, the migration path was as smooth as possible. Um, and I, I would say there aren't really very many kind of major gotchas. Um, the, the top things that we end up seeing are um, if anyone's using uh, router deprecated, which we deprecated a, a few months ago, um, that that's definitely something you need to migrate over. And I've, I've actually done a few of those myself. And the, the configuration is almost identical. It just needs to kind of move a little bit um, away from the, uh, the decorator and onto the route configuration as part of your NG module. Um, the other kind of things to, to be aware of or, or notice is really finishing up that NG module migration. So uh, you've created an NG module, and now you all, we've been auto-hoisting all of your directives up to that module. Um, you're going to want to do those things explicitly going forward. What do you say about, uh, have you been doing like, okay, we're just going to have one big app module for the whole darn thing and chuck the whole kitchen sink into it so I have gigantic collection of declarations and all that stuff? Or uh, have you been saying maybe that's not the way to go? Uh, I think it, it depends kind of where you are in your development process. Uh, stuffing it all into one ginormous NG module is the fastest way to get up and running just to make sure that you're not being uh, broken by a future release. Um, 
but being thoughtful about where your 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 app breaks into pieces is going to be very helpful. So we've been playing with things like um, lazy loaded child routes, where having though that sort of thoughtful design into how your application is uh, architected is really going to end up having performance and usability benefits for your users. So uh, one example that I see a lot is um, any sort of administrator tools or authenticated tools. Uh, keep that in a separate ng module or in multiple separate ng modules, and then only load that and all of the auth code when a user is trying to do something that, that requires those sorts of admin privileges. Yeah, I think I agree. I think when you when you're doing the conversion, the fir your first step just which is just get it to work. It, you kind of chuck it all in there. But I get I hear a lot of people who immediately say, "Is that what I have to do? You know, do I have to have one ginormous <laughs> module with the with two hundred declarations in it?" And I say, "Of course not. Uh, now is the time. Now that you've got it back on its feet, now is the time to to look for the natural seams in your uh, app and create uh, what we've been calling feature modules. That you know, it's just a module that's oriented towards a collection of closely related." Uh, functionality. There's actually a section in the documentation that goes through this exercise of taking the one root app module to rule them all and um, breaking out a feature module and showing you what the steps are. And it's actually a pretty quick process. So, uh, and this is even without talk, worrying about lazy loading or root stuff. That's my recommendation on top of it. But I, I think it's a it's a it's a two-step dance as you were describing. Sure, sure. And I mean, and there, there's even kind of some neat tricks that you can do um, along the way to, to help make things easier. So, for example, if, if you have every kind of uh, informal uh, group, group or section of your application, uh, if you have a list of your directives and then you have a list of those components, you can actually create a constant uh, that exposes those. So then you can create a higher level constant that groups them to keep your, your uh, root level app module as you're doing this kind of rebuild or as you're, you're doing this, you're finding those seams. Uh, to keep it down from 200 component declarations. And another thing I do when I have lots of feature modules is I, I often find that I have this, you know, each of the feature modules has the same set of imports and stuff like that. And so I have found creating a single module that re-exports stuff um, is a real time saver and also sort of simplifies the code I'm looking at. So, you know, I might have my basic module that everything is really supposed to, is all the things are supposed to be there, all of my standard gear. Maybe I use ng-module, so I want to re-export model, so I re-export uh, the forms module, and maybe I want to use some stuff from the, the router, I can export that. Uh, maybe I want to reuse, you know, like links and output outlets, uh, maybe common module. I can put that all together in one thing, and now my feature modules look pretty clean because I've got my standard kit of components, directives, and pipes that I'd like to see in my templates. That's really what I'm getting at. Yeah, and, um, and so that's been a good trick for me. Yeah, and that, that kind of reflects something that I've kind of seen hundreds of times in my career, which is that any organization or business that gets to a, a certain size is going to start having kind of this idea of shared components um, or, or shared services within an application. Um, and then just kind of building that into the way that you build your NG modules makes a ton of sense, right? So if, if I'm company X, uh, I'm going to have the company X module that all of my applications that we build, all of the various projects we have are going to be importing, which can expose all of the kind of common things that we want to use, everything from uh, our standard visual library via some sort of UX toolkit that, that's either built from scratch or on top of something like uh, Angular Material or uh, any kind of the other UI frameworks as well as kind of logic services. You can kind of centralize all of those as well. I'll bet if you look at your application, you know, if it's of any size, you probably we're, we're striving to achieve some kind of organization this way by having folders. And, and <laughs> you, know, you, you know, even if it's RC4, whatever that it is, you probably had a folder structure just to keep your own sanity. And you probably were already organizing your folders along these lines, and you had these seams in mind. And so your folder structure is probably a good uh, indicator about where a good place to create a module is. What about on small apps where you don't have this kind of neatly broken up thing? When do you when do you want to start thinking about moving stuff out of the main app module? When it gets too long. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Line it's the 501, same. out. Exactly. Yeah, if you cross 500, it's time. Uh, I think it's the same, exactly the same instinct that leads you to suddenly decide that one big folder with everything in it is no longer working. It's almost that moment that causes you to say, and it's if it if it if I don't like it in all in one folder, I'm probably not going to like it all in one big uh, app module. Now, if you're doing any testing at all, I'll tell you right away. I highly recommend that you go to feed your modules as quickly as possible. But that we'll get into why when we have our testing show. You know, I think that a, a lot of these things that are going to impact the big projects fall by the wayside a little bit when we first put together stuff, right? Like I've worked at big companies that produce big apps, big Angular apps and other types of stuff. And the types of concerns that they have are not always, are not usually the types of things you see talked about on blog posts. And so these thoughts forward of what do we do uh, as an example here, our Angular one app, a, a Domo, uh, the code size was five megabytes. So it was a five meg download before people could start using the code, using the application, right? Ouch. Yeah, we ended up having to roll our own uh, lazy loading at Angular One, which is not a trivial task. No, truly not a trivial task, right? Angular One was not meant to be lazy loaded, have pieces lazy loaded. So things like that, they they sort of miss what most people realize needs to go into a big, uh, into a product that can work for large enterprise, for large apps. And I, I hate to use the word enterprise because that implies oftentimes to people things that don't necess- that they don't identify with. But you can be at a very small company and have a very, what you consider to be a very small app and quickly realize that you're dealing with the same problems that, I don't know, U.S. Bank and Capital One and whoever these guys are dealing with, Walmart Labs, right? They're dealing with big problems that big apps have that you just don't deal with when you deal with, when you walk through the tutorials and you just think about, oh, I need this and I need this, you know, and I want some server-side rendering for SEO, right? And I've checked off a couple of little things, but when you get into a big app, the little tiny problems that you ignore get exacerbated so much and magnified that you have to deal with them. And code size is one of them. And like you said to the organization, you, you know, there's a, it's funny, a big, on a big application, you can spend a lot more money just figuring out and deciding and going through the code and grooming it to follow a few standards than a lot of people will spend building an entire app of small to medium size, right? Yep, and you will go through that exercise of rethinking it throughout the evolution yeah. of the application. Yeah, I can I can report I can report with um, with great glee that I have uh, since moving to Angular modules NG module uh, I've had I have done a, a number of shuffles of the folder structure uh, and various things, and it is actually so much easier now that we don't have all of those cross cutting. Uh, directives and pipes and stuff like that. I find it's really rather easy to move, uh, you know, say, oh, you know, I really like to refactor this one big thing into a bunch of things or move it from where it used to be to someplace else. Um, that that process is far less painful now with Angular modules than it was uh, before Angular modules. And, and I'm so pleased to say so. And it's also... Uh, you were talking about how hard and angular one it is to do lazy loading. Now it is like uh, falling off, uh, falling off a bicycle, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> falling off a log. I mean, I, you know, it's pretty easy to go back and forth between deciding that a module is lazy loaded and deciding, nah, no, I want to eagerly load it. I, I have, um, I, I, it's just, um, it's just really super simple. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Uh, well, that's from my experience. I have a follow-up question for you on that specific topic, and that is, let's say I've put together my little my app, right? And I've decided I want this piece that I'm going to shove off into its own module, a separate module. What's the pro- how how would you describe? I don't want you to like walk through the steps per se, but describe how you feel like that rates on a pain scale of oh, I've got to take this folder, right? And everything in it, I got to put it in its own module, and maybe lazy load it, maybe not, whatever. Right. What's that process like? How does that feel? Um, 
I'm going to give my answer, but I'm curious about Stephen's experience as well. But uh, mine is it's like one, two, three. Create folder. Create module. All right, so it's one, two, three, four. <laughs> create folder. Create module file. Uh, copy in the declarations uh, from where you stole it from before. Uh, patch up the one you stole it from and go. It's a maybe a, a half hour process for something that is you know has a fair amount of stuff in it. But I, that's my experience. I, but I've done it a, a you know a number of times now. Uh, Stephen, what what's your experience on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I do it in a couple of steps as well. I mean, the, the first one, I'll, I'll, I won't use the same uh, delineation that you were using, Ward, but I, I basically I move all of the um, declarations from my one from my original app module into the, the new one. Um, so basically anything that used to be owned by and managed by the, the first module is now in that, that new one that I'm creating. Um, and then because you can kind of, the first time leave all the files in place, Everything's going to work seamlessly. Um, and then what I do is, I, I, as a second pass, I go through and I actually move all the files and I, I refactor that to, to point at the new path so that things are um, matching the file system to the ng modules. So there you go. Two ways to do it. Both of them, they feel very quick to me. And, the, and, and what's great about it, you, you can do all of that because... You don't have to go around and fix up all of the files that you move to correct where they're getting their directives and pipes from because that's no longer a problem. So one thing that I see with this, though, is that these modules could be used to build a sort of, for lack of a better term, plug-in system for Angular, right? Where you have these modules that you pull, pull in somehow and then you declare them in your app module and then everything can see them. Is that one way that we're looking at taking this where we can then share code between different projects? Uh, I, w I don't know if I would agree with the term plug-in system, but the code shareability, code portability is absolutely a design intent. Um, I mean, if, if you look at how we build um, projects like uh, Angular Material, mm -hmm. that just is now an NG module, or actually it's a, a set of NG modules that are available on NPM. And then we're, we're also actually looking at serving a, a meta module so that if you want all of material design, you can actually just import all of it at once so you don't have to specify individual components. But then the idea is because these things are composable, you, you can actually just import exactly what you need, um, whether you want everything or just specific parts. So and at least three of Angular's own things work this way. So the router is a drop-in module. The uh, HTTP, drop-in. Forms, drop-in. Okay, so I guess my next question is basically along the lines then of, let's say that I have two or three applications, they all authenticate in pretty much the same way, I could build my own module, put it into an NPM package, and then just NPM install them into the other ones and then import the module and I'm done? Yes. Yep. I love you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Part of the, I mean, going back to what I was saying at the beginning about this, this deprecation um, and with the removal of all those kind of legacy things is we, we want everyone writing code in a, a similar way and in a very forward-looking way because one of the, the next big horizons that I think a lot of app developers they're going to try and take on um, is, is using all these composable parts that they've built um, and doing what we call ahead-of-time compilation um, and where... Uh, instead of, of shipping Angular and then rendering and compiling it kind of on the fly just in time in the browser, um, you can actually do that at development time and then remove that part from this part that you ship to the browser so that uh, instead of rendering HTML in real time and compiling it, you're actually just running JavaScript that, that modifies and adds nodes to the DOM. Yeah, this is that ahead-of-time compiler or AOT compiler that, that some uh, in the past is referred to as the offline compiler, Stephen, is that right? Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we used a few names kind of informally before. Um, you may have heard static, you may have heard offline. Um, but as we try and make this easier for everyone and as, as we're starting to put together documentation on how to do this, um, you're going to see the term ahead-of-time compiled versus just-in-time compiled. Um, and the difference there is really uh, the compilation step is actually nearly identical. Um, just just in time happens in the browser on the client side, and ahead of time happens by the, uh, when the developer invokes it at uh, build time. So can we first talk a little bit about where the state of that tool is at right now, and where does it live? 
how you invoke it, and then maybe walk through just a little bit of what's different about using the ahead of time compiler versus just the usual thing you do? Sure, sure. So um, this project lives uh, in NPM and on GitHub under the name uh, compiler CLI. Um, and then just at the command line, instead of uh, ng, which is we use for the Angular CLI, you're going to see ngc. And what that does is it, it basically takes all of your components and modules and turns them into uh, component factories and uh, module factories. So this was something we were, were doing kind of behind the scenes in just-in-time that everyone's been doing so far. But really the, the focus right now for us is making it, it as simple and as approachable as possible so that you don't have to modify your code to get it working and so that it's, it's very easy to kind of transition between these two modes. So there, there's a lot of work still going on there. But if you're, you're interested and you feel like an, a little bit of an advanced user wanting to try things ahead of the documentation coming out, you can definitely just basically uh, install compiler-cli from the at Angular scope in NPM. Uh, and then run that on whatever source folder you have or whatever folder you have in your TS config. And then there, there's a couple more bootstrap steps you can take where instead of referring to uh, platform browser dynamic, you're going to be referring to platform browser. And then instead of bootstrapping your module, you're going to bootstrap a module factory. Um, so if you, you do those, those two or three things, then your application is suddenly in ahead of time compiled mode. And the actual Angular part of your application itself uh, ends up being about 60% smaller. That's because why, Stephen? Yeah. Hold on. Can you clarify that? When you say 60% smaller, you mean like so it's 40% of the original size? So if it was you know, 100K, now it's 40K? Correct. So, so okay. in, in just-in-time compiled mode, what, what everyone's been using up till now, the, the compiler part of Angular, part of the library that you actually ship to the browser in that bundle, was about 60% of our, our source code. So it was, it's a huge piece of code that exists for kind of a number of different reasons. Uh, performance is, is really one of the top ones. Uh, testability, universality, or, or uh, isomorphism. So the idea that you can run uh, an Angular application on the server without the concept of a DOM. These are all kind of some of the reasons that we have a, a compiler. And we had one in, in Angular 1 as well, but you just never had to think about it. Um, but because it's so much more powerful um, in Angular 2, it's a little bit bigger. And that's why we've given you the ability to uh, ship code without it. So that's one way, particularly over a port line, port wire, you, you're going to, you get a smaller payload, it's going to arrive faster, and um, that means that your app should be able to launch faster. And then the other thing, of course, the other performance boost is you're not wasting time compiling the code on the browser because it's already pre-compiled. Yeah, in, in several of the tests I did, um, we, we had an app that, that had probably 30 or 40 components, and it went from a load time of 1.7 seconds to a load time of 1.2 seconds when you switch from just-in-time compilation to ahead-of-time compilation. So we were very happy with that one. And do you just stick this into your build process as part of your build one of your build steps? Yep, and, and that's, that's the only reason I would caution anyone that's going to try it today, is, is we're trying to integrate all the tools so that the Angular CLI uses NGC. And the, there's discussions right now, for example, that uh, the Angular CLI should actually just always have your application in offline mode so that you are in uh, ahead-of-time mode. So that you, you start there and you, you just kind of always live there. So you never even have to worry about shipping it, the compiler to the browser. I'm not ready for that, but I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> but, but uh, that's, uh, that's an exciting prospect. I mean, if it was really that easy, for the most part, I'd say, why not? Since that's the ultimate delivery vehicle. And I only say that, guys, not because I know anything, only because I've spent all my time not using the AOT and I'm, a, I'm afraid of anything new. <laughs> What's the state of the uh, AOT compiler? So it, it's kind of funny. If you look back uh, ever since kind of RC0 um, a few months ago, AOT has actually worked. And it, it's been a core part of the design of Angular 2. It was just harder and harder to use. Uh, and we're making it easier and easier now. So if, if you look back, um, I, I refer to this idea of component factories and module factories. That was how you did it even back then. All those things existed, uh, but you had to manually update all of your references. And so uh, talking a, a little bit about the genesis of ng-module, one of the things you had to do is you had to manually import all of the things that, uh, all of the directives that you wanted from Angular. So for example, if you wanted ng-if, you wanted ng-for, you wanted any of the pipes that, that are, are kind of part of the platform, 
you had to import each one of those manually, which was a huge pain and meant that you had to write different code if you wanted to do ahead of time compilation. And so the, going back to, to ng module, that's one of the reasons we did that is now when you import browser module or common module, that's where we're putting all of those things. And that's how we're making sure that the compiler has the right context at build time when it doesn't kind of encounter those things naturally through a, a normal kind of runtime environment. So one of the things I find comforting about this, because, you know, here I am developing in the just-in-time compiler, and most of us should be frightened of switching compilers because we think that it's not going to produce the same code. But my impression, you can correct me, uh, Stephen, is that the just-in-time compiler and the AOT compiler are producing the same code. That, yep, that's correct. And, and I mean, most developers don't actually even end up seeing the compiled code at all. Um, so if, if you are an Angular developer and you pull up your Angular application, if you look in your sources, um, if you look hard enough, possibly if you, it helps if you turn off the, the source mapping, you can actually find all of the generated templates in, in both Angular 1 and 2, where you can see the, the JavaScript that's actually running to modify the page. We just kind of have hid that away from you previously because you didn't need to deal with it. And you still don't need to deal with it for the most part. It's just when is that file getting generated? I mean, it, it's the same compiler code running. We just uh, want to make sure the context is being set up properly even when you're ru not running your application in kind of this, this normal first do one, then do two kind of mode. If you're really geeky and you run any of our plunkers uh, and then you hit F12 to see the browser tools, you can actually see the factories that are generated on the fly because in our plunkers we always do the TypeScript uh, stuff in the browser. So you can it's very easy to see the code that's being generated and it's kind of it's kind of fun to look at it and then quickly close it up and say, well, clearly a human being didn't do that, but it... it <laughs> I don't feel the same way. I'm not a big fan of looking at it. And unfortunately, I've, I've never had to. But the idea is that it's actually VM-optimized code. So from exactly. a standpoint, the, the code gen that's going on takes into account how do browsers actually work. Right. So so I, I only say that if you, want to be, uh, if you really want to geek out. There's absolutely no reason why you have to go in there. Uh, but it's kind of fun to see what the compiler, what kind of JavaScript the compiler generated. Uh, it's fun for about like a minute and a half, and then you say, okay, back to my regularly scheduled program. So one other thing that I'm wondering about here is that I know a lot of people that do their JavaScript, for lack of a better term, maybe front-end development, and they keep all that stuff in a folder on their back-end system, and then they run some compilation steps as part of the process, I'm thinking about Rails in particular, and you use the Rails asset pipeline for that. Um, would this replace that? Or are people working on a way to add that into some of these other systems that build for non-JavaScript backend systems? Sure. So maybe you can clarify more about what you mean by non-JavaScript backend systems. So, so for example, Rails uses, um, it actually uses Node to build the JavaScript, but it has its own task in Rake that you run to pre-compile your assets, which is kind of this ahead of time build step that you're talking about now. Is there going to be an easy way to tie that into systems like the Rails asset pipeline or sure, know, sure. is it just going to so be a command line or what? Yeah, I mean, the, the compiler CLI is a command line tool that, that runs and, and does these things kind of for you. So it's really, I think, designed with that sort of portability in mind so that people can write whether it's in the, the kind of uh, Angular CLI, the ng command, uh, or whether it's gulp, whether it's grunt, whether it's webpack, we, we want this to be able to be kind of invoked as people want to as part of their own build chains. I think the answer there is yes, Chuck. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> Steven, you just could have said yes. I, see, I, I don't think you guys wanted a yes. I think you want to know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was yes with warm fuzzies. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just say yes from now on. Steven, you want to give me a million dollars? No. <laughs> I want to give you a million dollars, Chuck. I just don't have a million dollars. That's to give what you. I was going to say. I really <laughs> want to. It's not my million dollars. Someone else. I'll give you Joe's million. There we go. The, one, the million I was going to give to Joe. I was just going to give it to Ward anyway. Oh, there you go. It's just the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> yes. So back to the discussion of the ahead-of-time compiler and modules, one other thing that I've been thinking about is, are there things that the modules do besides import and export, or is that the complete uh, functionality there? 
Sure. So, so I mean, when you build your NG module, you're going to see a bunch of kind of different parameters. Um, and so beginners, they're going to see, obviously, the import for anything they're going to pull in. So your forms, your any sort of third-party libraries, they're going to see uh, declarations, which is where you list any uh, of the components or directives or pipes that are owned by this module. And, and so you should use the, that module for context when doing the compilation. And then bootstrap. So, so those are the three that, that most developers are going to first encounter. Um, but then, I, as you mentioned, there's export. So now I want to build a module that uh, is exposing something out to somebody else. And then there, there's a few others. So uh, if you're, uh, there, there's actually a little bit of magic happening behind the scenes. So uh, if you use the Angular router, for example, uh, what we're doing is we're registering each of those uh, components that uh, are in your, your static route as things that need to be compiled. And so there, there's another parameter called entry components, where if, if the compiler can't figure out, hey, I need to go compile this component because you're loading it dynamically, for example, you'll, you'll want to list things there. Yeah, the, the intuition to have, I think, is if, it's going to, if you're going to refer to the component in a template, then you're good to, to go by declaring it. So if you're, you know, it has a selector and you're, you expect that, that that foo component is going to be, some other component is going to display it inside of its template, then you put it in declarations. But if it's something that will never appear in any other template, then you're going to, um, then it's going to be one of these things called an entry component. And so what category of things would never appear in another template? There are two common ones. Uh, the first is the app component that you boot up, right? Because that never appears in a template at all. Uh, so you kind of have to mention that. And then you're doing that by mentioning it in Bootstrap. We automatically assume that any components you're bootstrapping should be an entry component and should be compiled. Exactly. And then the other one that you're commonly going to encounter is when you route to something. Because if you remember about how you route to something, you're throwing it into a router outlet. You're not, uh, you're not actually putting any tag on a, on, in a template w that's going to represent that component. You're routing to it. And that means the router is doing the job of creating the instance of the component and dropping it into the DOM. And fortunately, uh, one of the things that the router, the router module does for you is it looks at that configuration and says, oh, yeah, I better tell the compiler about these guys too. And so pretty much uh, anything that most developers are going to um, create that doesn't appear in a template, uh, we're going to pick up and tell the compiler about anyway in this thing called the entry components. And, and if then, it doesn't get mentioned in any of those places, then it doesn't get pulled in when it's compiled? It's gone. It's gone. It's not going to be recognized at all. Which is a good thing, right? Because one, oh, yeah. one of we forgot to mention that one of the downstream tools we didn't forget. We just haven't gotten to it. One of the goals here is to to deliver the smallest application payload that we can. And there's a lot of stuff that you're you know importing and bringing in, particularly from Angular, that you may not use in your application. It's there because other people want to use it, but you didn't want to use it. There are going to be downstream tools that can shake that stuff out so that anything you're not using won't, uh, won't appear in the final payload. It's called tree shaking. So yeah, part of we what we're doing... We did a JavaScript Jabber episode on... Is it rollup.js? That is one of the tree shaking tools, yep. Yeah. So if you want more details on how that works, go check out that episode. We'll put a link in the show notes. But a lot of what we're doing in entry components and, tr and in the declarations list and in the entry components is telling the compiler, you know, what to generate code for, what to keep, and what can, you know, what not to do so that it gets thrown away. If we didn't have entry components, then uh, the compiler wouldn't know to put any code for it because it has it. It can only put put code in there if it can discover it in a template somewhere, right? And if it's if you don't if it's not in a template, it's not going to be able to to uh, know that it should uh, put that compiled thing into the code base. But because it gets listed in entry components, either because you bootstrapped it or you, you routed to it, um, then the compiler learns that it's supposed to keep that code too. And then there, there's one final um, property on the ng-module decorator. Um, before I, I describe it, I, I want to tell a little bit of a story where uh, I, I've been a developer, so I've built a lot of components in my time. I've, I've written a lot of Angular 2, 
And occasionally, I will fat finger the name of one of my components in my templates. And so no. then I would, I would write that. Yes, it's true. I will admit it. And then I would, I would save the file and I would run it. And then it, my application wouldn't crash. It just wouldn't work, right? The, the things that I had written didn't load. So then those, those components weren't rendering on the screen. I, I assume this has not happened to anyone else on the call? No, only used to. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, for developers like me, um, one of the things that we, we did, um, I think it was in the last release, or, or if it's not, it's in the next release, um, is we've turned on much stricter checking of the components and of the HTML tags that you're using in your templates. Um, because we, we actually should be smart enough to say, hey, uh, this HTML tag you use that refers to an Angular directive, uh, or this HTML tag you used comes from the HTML spec. And so when you fat finger something like that, um, we should actually be able to throw an error saying, hey, you're referring to this thing that, that doesn't exist. Um, but with that, that strict checking um, comes a problem of what if you're using an HTML attribute that isn't an Angular directive and isn't something as part of HTML spec. And so the, the last parameter that we offer on ng-module is uh, that of schemas. And what schemas allow you to do is it allows you to specify, hey, I'm going to be pulling in this kind of unexpected HTML. And uh, if you ever do this, you're going you're gonna to get a warning or an option that you can uh, turn it off entirely by passing custom elements uh, as your, your schema, the, the token. Or you can actually supply a schema, for example, um, we're working with the Polymer team, uh, so that if you want to uh, in, have interoperability between your Angular 2 application and your Polymer application, you can say, hey, I'm using Polymer, these are the elements, these are their schemas, and Angular, you should just be okay with these things. So the idea is we still want to be able to do that strict checking to make sure that you're not fat fingering anything or to help you find those types of mistakes um, while still allowing you to do kind of more advanced techniques with, with HTML and with standards and with web components. You know, one that we left out, Stephen, we didn't mention providers. Oh, everybody knows about providers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, this is one of the things that's a bit of a stumble for people because they're, they're they, they've encountered providers on components before, uh, and so they think that providers on the Angular module is the same thing, and it really isn't quite the same thing. I mean, it's still a provider, which means that you're uh, giving it, a, um, you're telling the dependency injection system how to create a service that you want injected. So it's still a provider, has the same syntax. But the, there's an important difference. When you, when you specify a provider on a component, you're saying, I want, when, when, when Angular ins creates a new instance of this component, I want it to create a new instance of the service, too. And, I, and if anybody in the subtree, component tree, asks for this service, it should get it from the one I've got from my component here. It's kind of scoping it to the component subtree which is a very important mechanism, continues to be important in your application design. But, but modules are a little bit different. We're, our goal there isn't to create a little sub-universe, a little private uh, service environment. Our goal with modules is actually to enrich the application as a whole. And therefore, when you have a provider in your module, what you're really doing is you're saying, oh, I want to contribute this service to the entire application. So it gets thrown into the essentially the global injector, all right. That's how the router works, right? When I put when I add the router module, I don't want to add the router just the router service just for one little component. I want everybody to have access to the one true router that's running the whole application. So the router router module has a has its list of providers, and those are contributed to the entire application. And that, that's a distinction that you'll want to be aware of um, as you're sort of thinking about how you, how you want to provide services to your application. Hey, Ward. Yeah. You said, you know, like you were going to be this great benefactor to my app and making sure that every component has access to the router service. And the router service is probably a bad example of this. But what, what happens if maybe I only want that router service, again, bad example, in one component? Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's a great question. And to make it feel more real, let's suppose that I have um, a feature area that's coping with orders and this, I have some kind of service that goes and gets orders. And when I'm over in the customer's world or I'm over in something else, I don't want that, right? Is that kind of the, the game? That's exactly, 
that's exactly where I was going. Although technically, in your scenario, we're still off because customers need orders. But go. Well, let's pretend they don't. So, so, uh, <laughs> so the safe answer for that is that when, uh, which is the same answer that we were provi- we were using before there were Angular modules, is as I construct my feature area that's oriented towards orders, I have a top component for that feature. It's the component that rules that domain. And I have that component provide the order service that's the, 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 the data access service that gets orders and, and manipulates orders and saves orders. And because I do that within the bounds of that component and then in the component providers, then every component that descends from that will see it. And nobody above or aside on the side of the order feature or the order component feature will see it. So that is the way you've been doing it, and that's the way you can continue to do it. Another option that uses modules is if you're lazy loading the order feature, every lazy loaded module gets its own private injector. This is not true if you're not lazy loading, but in when you lazy load a module, it gets its own injector. So if my order module is lazy loaded and my order module provides an order data access service, then it will be um, the, it will be visible only within that lazy loaded module and won't be visible outside. So those are two ways to do it: uh, the traditional way, and and then the lazy loaded way. Did we lose you guys, or how how are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to say that in as plain English as I could. It's a deep well, concept. You know, it's an architectural decision you have to make. Uh, you have to know where, who you want to have see it, uh, see your services. And, um, and so modules are really designed to, to give the broadest possible access, and components are a way of scoping it to just that component and its subtree. All right. It's almost 4 o'clock. Is there anything else that we should really dive into or dig into before we get into picks? Did we talk about like just the default way? Say I don't want to really use modules or lazy loading because I'm doing something that's small to medium or I'm just starting it out, right? What's that story like and how does this affect that? That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, Steve, you want to take it? You want to take a shot at that? So let, let me repeat the, the question again to make sure I'm understanding. So what if I have a legacy application with providers? Or Oh, no, no, no. I'm I'm starting up a new app, and I don't care that modules are a feature that exists in Angular 2. Lazy loading, all that. I just don't care about that. I just need to build a small little, small to medium-sized app, and I have no care nor need for modules. How do they affect me? Uh, if you have no third-party dependencies, then you should go onto the RC4 to RC5 migration guide on our doc site and copy and paste the file, the bootstrap and the... Um, the blank or very simple ng module. So you you need to create an ng module and you need to bootstrap it. Yeah, and you don't need to care. The quick start also the quick start repo and the quick start has uh, has that minimal setup for you. It's got one. You're always going to have one a root app module, um, uh, but that's about as much as you really need to know about it. Um, and you just start adding every time you create a new component that you want to reference. You just add it to the declarations of that um, that one root thing that we usually call app module. It's a pretty simple formula. Rinse and repeat. So can I sum it up in saying that it has little to very little to no effect on me? No, it, it, very little. I, I think it's easier, actually, than what you used to do. If you're a brand new Angular 2 developer and you are doing something, you will have exactly one ng module that you'll copy and paste from somewhere and everything will work. If yep. you were an Angular 2 developer prior to ng-modules, you will need to adopt at least one ng-module. Right, but if you're just starting up cold, like uh, Joe was suggesting, I just want to get going and and run, then all you got to know is that there is one app module, and it's got a declarations, and every time you create a new component, chuck it in there. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Joe, do you have some picks for us? You bet. I saw a TV show... Over the last few days, I've been watching a few episodes, and I intend to continue binge watching. It's a Netflix show called Stranger Things, and I picked oh, this. I picked this on JavaScript. What? I'm wanting to watch that. 
It is so freaking awesome. Oh my gosh. It is so well done and so cool. It's like, a, I don't know, like as much as I loved Lost before it started sucking, I love this that just as much. <laughs> is it strange? Is it strange it like is. the same says? It is very strange. I and it's a lot of child actors that do a really good job. You know these like young, young, young teen actors, preteen actors. They've do, done a really great job with them, and just the whole thing. I've really enjoyed it. I highly recommend taking some time and trying it out. It's been a great show to watch. It's you know if you kind of liked X Files or Lost, these kind of weird mysteries type shows with some tension and thrill to them, you'll really like it. Very cool show. Uh, so, is it recommend. something I can watch with my kids? Um, depends on the age of your kids. There's some older teenagers in there, and there's sort of a subplot about this girl, and she gets this boyfriend, and uh, things happen between her and the boyfriend, romantic things. And so if you don't want to expose your kids to that, that topic, then no, no it's not okay. not okay. It is. It also has some fairly intense couple kind of minorly scary parts i mean way less scary than say the movie poltergeist which i'm not really a big scary movie fan myself so it's, i wouldn't qualify it as being scary but certainly has its thrills and moments of shock you know okay uh, so i've been binge watching game of thrones yes i know i'm behind the times and <laughs> i have my very the very last episode is tonight just uh, pretty excited about it right nice. now. is that a pick so, no, that is next on my list. By my list, though, is that show. So I'm, thank you for your review. It's, it's yeah, very, yeah. Um, definitely take time, and it, uh, definitely take some time to watch it. So that's my first pick. I also want to pick up the class that I'm helping out, John Papa and Dan Moline. I don't know where John is today, but uh, helping them out in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, October sixth and seventh, I think. Uh, they're teaching a two day class on Angular two, getting up and running with it. And I'm really excited to go and help them out. I, I love those guys. I love all the stuff that they do. I think they're amazing teachers. So if you want a couple of hundred bucks off of your ticket, the code AIA will get you $200 off. And the URL is fortlauderdale.ng-learn.com. That's FT Lauderdale. It'll be in the show notes, of course. So that's... Uh, that's my that's my second pick, and and I would like to mention as well that if you if you're at a company that's got an Angular One app and you're trying to migrate it to Angular Two, and you're looking for some help doing that, uh, please reach out to me. I'd be love to talk to you and maybe see about helping you out. Awesome, Jules. What are your picks? You know, I don't really have very many picks this week because I literally have spent the last four days moving from a, one house to a house that is less than half the size of of that house. So it's been a challenge, but here's what I discovered while I was moving and having to text a whole bunch of people. So a couple weeks ago, my Nexus, my Android Nexus broke and I made a bet that I could use an iPhone for 30 days. And that by the end of the 30 days, I would love the iPhone. Let me just be clear that I hate the iPhone. There are like two things on this device that I appreciate and the rest I dislike. However, my pick of the week is Google Hangouts on an iPhone. I know you guys probably all use Hangouts, but Google Hangouts on an iPhone has this really cool feature where I can send memes instead of GIFs. I mean, instead of uh, emoticons. And they're so awesome that if you're communicating with me on text, you're probably only communicating with me in memes at this point. Cool. That's my pick. Cool. Uh, Steven, what are your picks? All right. So uh, about a month or two ago, there was a, a new video game that had been around, but they got released on Steam called Factorio, which I'm absolutely addicted to. Uh, basically, you build factories that build factories. So if you like any sort of kind of city world management games, and if you like automation, this is a game that you're basically building things that, that build themselves. So it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, my other pick would be uh, a project from Sean Larkin that he's working on. Uh, which is a Webpack dashboard, so that as you're building a Webpack application, you can actually get a nice dashboard of what the, the build is going on rather than just kind of the simple progress bar. Um, so that that is a project that I think he just started this week or this weekend. Um, but even just seeing the, the gifts that he's been posting on Twitter, it's it's very exciting. Very cool. Ward, what are your picks? What are your Actually, I'm so 
thrilled to hear another Apple hater just just because it's fun <laughs> to be in that that strange crew of people who uh, who like to resist uh, the trends. I can't actually hate on it that much because it's actually turned out to be pretty good. But but I'm not. You'll never hear me say it out loud on a podcast. My pick is. <laughs> Hey, I like to cook, and I like sharp knives, and uh, so I just got the Chef's Tro- Choice Trizor XV knife sharpener that can take a totally destroyed knife and put a 15-degree edge on it, and I'm really excited about that. <laughs> that puts me in the camp of, like, 10 people. I'm uh, glad that you opened up with the fact that you like to cook and not just, I like sharp knives. You know, <laughs> I would have made it a lot weirder. I don't know. From Ward, it wouldn't have been that weird. (laughs) It's Halloween, and what do we think about on Halloween? Sharp knives. So so get your skills ready. It's either pumpkin carving or neighbor carving, and whichever comes up. All right, enough of that. Hey, so I have to amend my pick because Stephen just uh, figured out that it isn't actually Google Hangouts on the iPhone that does that. It is Gboard on the iPhone that does it. It's not Google Hangouts? It's it's a feature of the Gboard keyboard that you can uh, get on iPhone. Oh, look at that. You've yeah. been revealed. You've been revealed. Well, we just sat and figured it out while you were talking. <laughs> All right. yeah, I think I actually loaded that on there. The, the uh, my, my final thought, though, is um, um, uh, like uh, Joe, I'm in business. Um, my Idea Blade company. Um, is uh, pretty skilled at Angular, and so if you're if Joe's too busy to take your project, um, uh, we are also available to help you uh, get over to Angular too from wherever you happen to be, uh, including maybe you've written a Silverlight application or you're some kind of a Microsoft person that needs uh, to make the transition to these this new breed of web app- web applications, and and uh, we've got the chops to do that too. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of picks. The first one is we've had a foreign exchange student staying with us for the last, what, five days? And it's been a lot of fun. So if you've been thinking about getting a foreign exchange student, uh, go ahead and pull the trigger. Um, Our foreign exchange student is from Italy. She's 17. When I was on my mission in Italy, I lived near the city she's from. So uh, anyway, we've had a bit to talk about because I kind of get where she's coming from. Um, but yeah, it's been a ton of fun. My kids love having her around and it's, it's, it's been cool. So we'll see how that goes, uh, going forward throughout the rest of the school year. But, uh, I'm pretty optimistic about it. The second thing that I'm going to pick is there was this killer, uh, chocolate chip cookie recipe on all recipes. And I've made it like two or three times. And the people that I have shared the cookies with can't shut up about it. Um, I think they're terrific as well. So I'm going to, uh, post that. Um, as a pick as well, post the link to that recipe. And uh, finally, I'm looking forward to trying this out. I fiddled with it a little bit, but I'm going to start using it in earnest, and that is uh, Freshdesk. So I've been moving things around a little bit within uh, the business of running the podcasts, and I get a lot of emails that are just general, hey, can you help me with this, or I didn't get access to this, or I have a question about the conference. And so I'm going to try using a help desk and fresh desk looks really cool and uh, seems to be a good way for me to go. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out as well. Um, And those are my picks. And with that, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this show up. Uh, Thank you all for coming. We'll catch everyone next week. Awesome. Peace out. Thank you. Bye.